0: to go ahead and open your Bibles if you have them to Hebrews 11. I think a gumball just rolled down uh, in front of me. Uh, So uh, but Hebrews 11 is where we're going to be today. We're continuing uh, kind of in this theme of looking. uh, Today we're going to continue looking at Abraham's life and we're going to see uh, really uh, probably one of the ultimate examples of faith in the Old Testament, but also I believe the ultimate example of faith in Abraham's live, uh, today in the text. Uh, so a couple of things. First, bear with me. Uh, I'm not talking so well this morning. I feel very nasally, but, uh, good old Texas allergies. So, uh, but on the other hand, I want us, as we, uh, take this time to really dive into Abraham's story, I want us to, to really, uh, just, uh, man, take a moment just to remember. Again, I shared it last week that this text is really built on the end of, of chapter 10, but I think it even finds it's just a greater foundation if you pull all the way back to the beginning of chapter 10. It's built on this foundation... Where we see at the beginning of ten that Christ's sacrifice was once for all sin, meaning that Jesus is not like every other sacrifice that had to be made, uh, uh, you know, at, at all times because of all the sin that was continual. No, Jesus would come as the perfect one, and He would sacrifice once for all sin. We know this because his perfected life met the standard. He was the only perfect one. His sacrificial death paid the penalty of our sin. And his victorious resurrection brings a victorious ending to the reign of sin, death, and the grave. Actually, what Jesus did is he made a mockery of sin, death, and the grave. Therefore, if you continue after that first portion of Hebrews 10 and 19 through 39, we see that because of who Jesus is and what he has done, we have confidence through Christ to enter the holy places through Jesus, drawing near with full assurance of faith, not in ourselves, but in Christ alone, holding fast to our confession that he is the only way to the Father. And as we do that, we are then called in the text to continually stir one another up to good works, not neglecting to meet together and encouraging one another as we persevere. All all the while we recall the hardship and struggle, be it past, present or future, and and we proclaim and we live in such a way that we say this is no new thing, but, but in spite of it, the reward of endurance is eternally great. Therefore, we do not shrink back, but preserve, persevere, endure and continue on. Then what we've seen the writer do over the last couple of weeks is lay forth example after example of working faith. Not, not just some, uh, branded faith where we just say, yeah, I have faith on my coffee cup or I have faith on my t-shirt or my bumper sticker. But no, uh, man, faith in Christ, faith in Jesus and His work is is a call to follow that leads us to walk in faith. And again, this faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And so what we saw last week in the life of Abraham, who when called by God, went, right? He's called and it, it says the descriptor there is that he begins going even as God's words are still ringing in his ears. He went, trusting God for the way and the means along the way. For God had promised him in Genesis 12 that, that I will give you and your people a place but not, not only that, but through you, all the nations will be blessed. And so it will be through one man who, again, if you know the story that we saw last week, was, according to both his wife and basic biology, as good as dead. Living as a sojourner in the land he was promised, but he would not experience the fullness of the promise. Rather, he died in faith. And yet... From Him were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. And it's here in the text that, that we get today another example of the faith of Abraham. Who again is aptly named by Paul and others as the father of the faith. You see this faith in the text today that it produced a lineage Of faith in those who would come after him. And so let's look. I'm going to read Hebrews 11. We're going to look at the whole text at one time. And just kind of break it down from there. Hebrews 11. 17-22 says this. By faith Abraham. When he was tested. Offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises. Was in the act of offering up his only son. Of whom it was said. Through Isaac. Shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each one of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. Okay, so really, as we look at the story of Abraham, we're really that's where we're going to spend most of our time today. At the end of our time, we're going to look at how Abraham's story of faith really influenced as an example of the others that follow. But really, these two stories that we've seen over the last couple of weeks here in Hebrews, it really it lays out kind of two bookends of the spectrum of faith. For the first has to do with life coming through one who was good as dead And then you get the story today that is a story of faith and life coming through death. You see what we get in the midst of this story. In the midst of it all, we see the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And yet, as I looked at the text today, I was really pressed to wrestle with our understanding of what faith really means in light of what faith really costs. Have you ever spent time thinking about the reality of what faith means in light of what the Scripture and how the Scripture portrays faith and what that faith costs? Because you see, for the average American living in the great state of Texas, in the oldest county that is filled with bluebell, bluebonnets, and baseball, we have to make sure that we have an understanding of faith and its cost. Because if you're not careful, you could rest in an easy, glamorized version of faith that is void of any real faith at all. You see, there's really two uh, mere ways of faith. One is an easy faith. This glamorized, I believe, that many attach themselves to. If you want an example of it, just think about the prosperity gospel. Prosperity theology says, hey, just have easy faith and name it, claim it. Just have easy faith, and, you know, I had a friend, uh, I ran in a, in a pretty prosperity, gospel culture for a while, and I had a friend every day for like a month, he was like, hey, I'm just praying for a new Corvette. I'm like, dude, you ride a bicycle, man. Like, but that, like, he was like, I'm just praying, like, and God says if I just ask, He'll give me that Corvette, right? And like, and I was like, I, I, but you don't even, you're not even, you're working. <laughs> You're you just you just like that that's it, right? Like, but there, there's that easy like if I could just attach myself to these external things, then that's enough. This faith is shallow, self centered, and treats Jesus as some genie that is there to make you feel good and produce every desire of your heart. You see, the reality is that Jesus is the king, not a genie and a lamp. See, our culture would say, Hey, today, like you sacrifice nothing. Or you you sacrifice anything that will give you the most gain uh, uh, that that also costs you the least personally. I want the most bang for my buck. I, I, I want to have my cake and eat it too. I want it all and I want it now. We live in a society of gimme, gimme, gimme. And so we look around and we say, hey, if I if I'm going to have to sacrifice anything, how can I sacrifice the least for the most gain? I saw a little picture of that, this, that this week. Um, so some of you know, you saw pictures, but uh, my oldest son uh, ran into a door frame this week and blew his whole face open right above the eyebrow. Right. And so he had to get stitches and, and it's this whole thing. But guess what? And from that, that day, as soon as he got his stitches in, we went to Sonic and he got to eat Sonic. So he showed back up and his little brother saw that and said, Oh, he got Sonic? I want Sonic. (laughs) Said, Well, sorry, buddy. Then the next day, someone presented him with a Lego set. My youngest son looked and said, I want a Lego set. So that night, he's getting, that that night, he's getting it. I actually think it started the next day before he even got the Lego set. He's, You know, my toe really hurts. It's really bothering me. Something's wrong with it. We're like, be tough. Go to sleep. But then the next day, what I notice is they're eating breakfast and he's got to go to the restroom. And he jumps up and he takes about four steps and he falls on the ground. And he looks at me and he goes, "Ooh, ooh." (laughs) to which I say, get up, be tough. You're fine. But Jude picked up on it. Jude said, hey, he's trying to hurt himself so he can get what I got, right? And I'm like, yeah, you're calling it out. But, you know, like he he something in his brain said, hey, if I can just maybe suffer or sacrifice a little bit, I can get all of this stuff. Well, I think we can look at that and hear that and, and be like, oh, man, that's just, I man, silly children. And I think for many in the church... Um, they only want the benefit of faith, but they want no cost. We would call it nominalism. I want the name of Jesus. I want to claim to have some form of faith, but it better not cost me a thing. And so they live life one of two ways. Either just kind of building their own kingdom and claiming it as faith, or the first time it doesn't work out for them, they turn from all of it. Revealing that, again, you had no faith in the first place. What this leads to is the reality of faith. And we actually see it in Abraham's story today. You see, faith is not only a call to follow, it is a call that costs. Faith costs, and yet it is through our faith being tested that we are refined at the depths of who we are. And by grace, we grow in faith. Again, Hebrews 10.39, we do not shrink back, but continue on in faith, which again is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things unseen. This is Abraham's story. A story of faith that is tested and refined through sacrifice. And even in the face of what will be the costliest sacrifice in his long life, Abraham has faith. And so while culture around us says sacrifice nothing, I believe, and I believe that Scripture is explicit in this, the Gospel says lay down yourself. Live live an open-handed life. And so let's look now at the example of an open-handed and costly Faith, I'm going to read 17 and 18 again, it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said through Isaac, shall your offspring be named. OK, so this story again. uh because it's Hebrews, uh, we have to almost you have to, to tell this story. We have to go back to Genesis and understand that story. So then we can come back here and understand what the writer is saying about this story. So in Genesis 22, it reveals to us that Abraham, who over the many years of sojourning and sacrifice, because, again, his life was continually, hey, go. And so Abraham would go and then it would be like, okay, hey, you're here, go And Abraham would go, and and here he would sacrifice, and here he would go, and here he would sacrifice. You see, Abraham had grown in what it meant to respond to God's call by faith. And it was by faith, the text says, when he was tested. If you look at Genesis 22, verse 1, it literally says that God tested his faith. God tested Abraham. And in this testing, we see that Abraham responded. Now, a couple of things here connected to Genesis 22 that I want to do before we dive in. And the first, and maybe you've already kind of uh, wrestled with this question as you heard it. Why in the world does God test Abraham? And in our lives, why is our faith at times tested? Like, isn't it enough to just have faith? Why must it be tested? Well, I'm just going to give a, a simple quote. I believe Eugene Peterson in a book called The Jesus Way, he says that the way of faith requires repeated testing so that we can discern whether we are dealing with the living God or some fantasy or illusion that we have cooked up. The way of faith, and I love what Peterson says, he says it requires repeated testing. Because it's so easy for us to begin to trust and have faith in something else that is not what we're called to have faith in. And so it's that moment of testing that we realize it, it burns everything away and we realize, no, is, is this God we're dealing with or is this something we've just kind of conjured up in our own lives? Essentially what this testing does is it reveals whether we're walking in faith to God or self. And it's this testing, particularly as we see in the text and in our lives, that comes by way of sacrifice, where our faith is really refined and either shown to be lasting and built upon faith in God, or it burns away and reveals it to be no real faith at all. Peterson goes on to say that sacrifice, which in this text it's termed as offering, exposes spiritual fantasy as a masquerade of faith. For sacrifice is a readiness, Peterson says, to interrupt whatever we're doing and build an altar. Bind whatever we happen to be carrying with us at the moment. Place it on the altar and see what God wills to do with it. That's what Abraham's been called to. And in our lives, that's what we are called to in faith. You see, the second thing that we don't see in Hebrews, but I believe is too beautiful to be ignored in Genesis 22... Is that when called for testing, Abraham responds to God with, Here I am. God says, Abraham, and Abraham says, says, Here I am. That phrase is actually, Here I am is used three times, and it can be translated as, I'm ready. Or, at your service, God. I'm ready. Here I am. And so in your own life, when faced with trials and testing, then is your first response to God when called, here I am. Like, is that your common response? I think my common response is, oh, what now? Not all the time, but at times. Or maybe it's, God, why this? Or, Not again. Anything but that. As I thought about this, I was reminded there there was a a season in my life, really a long season in my life, um, where from about 2010 until 2018, I lost seven really significant people. And I remember on number five, Um, after my uncle, I knew he was about to die, I remember coming home and I looked at Haley and I said, I don't know why this keeps happening, but I'm tired of doing funerals. And in that moment, what I was wrestling with was I was saying, God, like, not again. I don't want to do it again. Like, like I was there. But that wasn't my, my first response. You see, even as I think upon that, man, what I believe is that one, like um, I believe that God, while yes, I would choose way differently, God has used that to grow me into the person I am today. I don't always like it, but again, like He never, like Jesus never called us to easy. He says, in this world, you'll have trouble both from others, but also in the reality of sin brings death. And so when faced with trials, when faced with testing, is your response, here I am, God, I trust you. You see, God tells Abraham to go to Moriah. He says, God, I say in Genesis 22, he says, go to Moriah to a place I'll show you. So again, God says, you're going to go there, but he doesn't even reveal. He says, just trust me and I'll get you the rest of the way. But that's a that's a starting point. But then he says, and sacrifice your only son. The son whom you love. And guess what, Abraham, He he, he does not simply just respond with, here I am. Abraham goes. The text in Hebrew says that when tested, he offered up Isaac, which reveals that when called to go, actually that 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 wording offered up in, in Abraham's mind and heart, he had already offered his son. Like he had already resolved in his mind and his heart that he says, OK, God said to do that, I'm going Now, I don't want you to hear this as some cultic form of child sacrifice, because that's not what it is. Rather, for Abraham, this type of faith came from years of sacrificial dependence and even failure while following God. Also, his willingness is not to be disconnected from emotion. For this is a costly act of faith, because guess what? Love is involved. The love that a father who in his old age received his son. By whom God was to use as the means to make him a great nation or people. The text says Isaac would be the one. And so Abraham sets out on the journey with Isaac. Two servants and a donkey. And the wood already cut. Then once they arrived. Abraham leaves the servants. Makes ready the altar. Binds his son. And he who had received the promises of both land and a people. Was in the act. The text said of offering up his only son, meaning that the knife was raised and ready when God calls him once more, Abraham, Abraham, to which Abraham responds with, here I am. That's actually the third time that he responds with, here I am. The second is as they make their way up the mountain, he and Isaac. I've always thought about this story, but what happens is Abraham says, hey, y'all stay here, we're going and then he loads the wood on on Isaac's back. They head up the mountain, and Isaac, uh, as they're going up, says he's taking uh, uh, inventory, and he says, "Okay, we've got the wood, check. We've got the fire, check. We've got the knife, check." And then he stops and says, "Where's the sacrifice?" And so he turns to Abraham and he says, "Dad." To which Abraham looks and says, "Here I am." You see, Abraham even in this moment is present. In the face. He's present in faith, caring for his son. And he says, Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham, in faith, says, God will provide. Jehovah Jireh. Guess what? God does provide. He provides another sacrifice in light of Abraham's faith. You see, what is even more fascinating is that verse 19 tells us that Abraham considered that God was able to even raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, did you hear that? It's not, this wasn't one of those things where after the fact, Abraham was just like, oh, yeah, that boastfulness. No, from the beginning, Abraham knew that God would raise his son from the dead. And so what we see is that Abraham had so much faith that even when called to sacrifice his son, he had faith that God would fulfill his promise to him. In this moment, what Abraham is doing is he's saying, God, you promised this all the way back in Ur. Guess what? Man, it's in your hands now. Therefore, even if he killed Isaac, God would raise him from the dead. Something that, that hit me as I read it this week was that um, God tells Abraham it's through Isaac that your offspring shall be named. And, and I'd heard some people say uh, that either God would raise Isaac from the dead or God would provide another son. But actually what I believe, no, like even then God saying, no, it's going to be Isaac. It's not another. God doesn't need to use another. No, he can use Isaac because he can raise Isaac from the dead. You see, the binding of Isaac, again, just like our lives are the moments where we with open hands are to lay whatever it is, whatever we have before God and to see what he wills to do with it. And so what in your life today do you need to lay down on the altar? Maybe today you need to say, man, I just, I, because Jesus, what you have done, I just give you myself. Maybe you've just been living for the, the, the offering of self, right? Like I, any, anything I can do to get and receive what I can. Maybe for some of you today, maybe uh, you're sacrificing your children on the altar of your own need for success. Maybe today you just need to lay that down and say, God, maybe, like, maybe that's not it. Maybe it's just your will or your job or whatever it is. Like in your life, do you have faith to believe that God can raise and redeem even the most broken and seemingly dead things in your life? That He can do a work even in the the bleakest of situations. Abraham did. You see, because Abraham believed and he had such faith that he believed in the moment that God, God, you can do something here. Also, I believe that Abraham man, that for Abraham, God was the goal. He was the goal. And in your life as God, is he the goal or have you put something else in that place? You see, because that's what Abraham was after. And that's what we are to be after. I love the story of Job. In Job's life, I heard a pastor say it like this one time, that at the end of Job's life, after everything had been taken away from him, it says that Job had more children, he had more land than he ever had before. He had more cattle, more sheep, more everything. And I heard a pastor say, it was like, actually, that doesn't matter. That's not what the story of Job's about, that Job got more stuff in the end. No, the story of Job is Job got God back. Because he, he, he realized, no, he's the goal. And the same is to be for us. And I believe you actually see a picture of this confident faith in Genesis 22.5. Because when they arrive at the mountain, Abraham tells the servants to stay with the donkey while he and Isaac went up to the mountain to worship. And then they would come back. at first glance, it might look as if he's lying to cover up what's about to happen. But in truth, Abraham has faith in the moment that God would bring both he and Isaac safely back down the mountain. You see, this faith which believed even in the resurrection of the dead that had never happened before caused God to step in. And in doing so, a sacrifice was provided that foreshadowed what God would do in Christ. And would also allow Abraham to receive his son back. You see, Genesis 22, what we find is that when God intervenes, Abraham looks up and finds a ram in a bush that would be the sacrifice. For God did provide, just as Abraham told Isaac he would. And in our lives, we can look at this story, which again, <clears throat> sorry, foreshadows the Lamb of God that would come and take away the sins of the world, being sent by the Father who loved His only Son. <clears throat> Jesus, just like Isaac, would journey up a mountain carrying wood, but his would be a cross. He, like Isaac, would allow himself not to be bound, but be nailed to it. And he would die as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And what an act of faith in the life of Abraham. Abraham. You see, as we look at this story and see this act of faith and are are, are met with the reality that we are called. Again, these are, uh, these are not, this isn't the hall of faith. These are examples of what faith looks like and is to look like in our lives. So we're met with that and saying, okay, in my life, am I going to just say, okay, God, my hands are open. Do what you will, which again is another picture of Jesus, right? In the garden, he says, if there's another way, do it, but not my will, your will. But also what I love about this text is the way that the writer of Hebrews presents what follows in the rest. You see, in verses 20 through 22, we get these rapid fire examples. So we get this big picture example of faith and then we get these rapid fire pictures of the generation to come. Pictures that are a product of how faith, when modeled, encourages faith in the lives of others. And so as you think about that, as we look at these here in just a moment, I want you to begin to think about your own life. Because guess what, follower of Jesus? People are watching your faith. Or lack thereof. And guess what? Our lives are to, be, are to model the examples of faith that have come before us. But they are to proclaim and point forward to the call to faith Now. That's what Hebrews 11 is about. Because you you could think about this, and maybe you think about your own life and be like, man, I have some pretty crummy examples of faith, right? Maybe for you, like most of my, like there was no example. You see, Hebrews 11 reveals to us that even if you had poor models, look to these men and women who, even through imperfection, displayed tremendous faith. And then go live. In light of that, married couples, people are watching your marriages, not simply to just critique and say, hey, they do this good, they do that well, whatever. No, like, they're, they, like they are to see your faith and how you care for one another and how you lead and, and love one another. And, 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 and they're watching your parenting, they're watching your singleness, they're watching the way you work, they're watching these things because they're watching and saying, hey, what does faith look like? We're to respond differently to stuff. See, our lives would be marked by the same faith and and are to model the same faith. And so these stories that we get are the stories of Isaac, Jacob and Joseph who watched the faith of those before them. Who experienced the costliness of faith and who continued on in faith. And so today, what or whom is your faith in and what are you sacrificing or at least willing to sacrifice? Costly faith is part of following Jesus and in doing so, we proclaim the sacrifice of Jesus to the world around us. Not simply by what it costs, but in proclaiming with our words that Jesus' sacrifice is the better news that sustains through it all so let's just run through these examples quickly. For by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings upon Jacob and Esau. Two, two things quickly. First, this idea of future blessing that we saw last week in verse 13. Right? Like these two died in faith looking forward to what was to come. This points back to the trust and faith of 13 that even in death, Isaac looked forward to the fulfillment to come. But the second part of this story is the the story of Jacob and Esau that you might know, where Jacob, who is the younger brother, supplants himself and steals the blessing. Also, Esau had a part to play in that as well. Like he gave away his birthright, like there's a lack of faith there. But even through Jacob's deceptions, God's plan is not thwarted. Therefore, there is great hope for you and I in knowing that even in our moments of brokenness, God is still working for our good and his glory. He who began a good work in you will see it through. Next, by faith, Jacob, when dying, verse 13, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Man, may we proclaim the legacy of God's promises even in the face of death. And may we live with such faith that in the end we are drawn to worship. And then lastly, by faith, Joseph, again, at the end of his life, points forward to the exodus in relation to God's promise to fulfill his covenant with Abraham. And so he gave instructions even for his bones to be brought out of Egypt. And then that's, just, that, that's just the end of Joseph's life. You want to talk about another life of faith? It's just like... Even like, yes, Joseph, like, he probably had some pride issues. He needed to work out, right? Like, uh, but, like, man, Joseph's story is a story of just faith through, man, suffering and hardship. And what does he say at the end? Genesis 50. He says, man, what you meant for evil, God used for good. You see, what I hope we see here is that even as we live lives of faith, that, that even in the reality that faith so we can look back knowing that God sustains and has already taken care of the biggest issue we've ever known, which is sin, death, and the grave. And therefore, we, like those who came before us when called to go, can and should respond with, Here I am. Here I am. Like today in your life, is that your response or is it here I am if if this works out if this goes my way then here I am or maybe if I just feel like it here I am now may we live lives like Abraham that are just ready at your service Lord because not only is he enough man he like he's worth it all like, he, he sacrificed everything. So may we just simply live lives of, here I am. So that's what I going to invite you to today. So I going to invite you to a few things. First, today in your life, uh, what do you need to lay before the Lord in trusting Him to do with it what He wills? Like what, are there areas in your life or a specific area in your life that you say, man, I've been holding on to this in fear, in control. And man, I just need to look, just open and say, God, here it is. I trust you with it. Guess what? He's he, he's worth trusting because he can handle it better than you can. Secondly, today, where's your faith? Is it in yourself or is it in God. Next, today, what are you sacrificing? What are you at least willing to sacrifice and lay out? I believe we're called to just, again, with open hands, just say, God, whatever it is, here it is. And then how do you need to say, here I am? May we be a people that pick up our cross and follow Jesus, knowing the cost. And may we say, here I am. Have your way and your will be done. so that we might live life in such a way that others come to know and experience what faith looks like. Because again, the world around us, the culture around us, they only know me, me, me. Give me this. May we proclaim better news. And so I'm going to invite the team up. And I want us to spend just a moment just reflecting on the reality of Abraham's story on the reality of cost and sacrifice, on this call for us, and with Abraham as our example, but again, Jesus as our ultimate example, that we would call and say, look, I I give my life to you. There would be a daily laying down of self. And that you would ask God to give you the faith to simply say, here I am. And so I'm gonna have Jeremy come up. Jeremy's gonna help me, uh, in this time as well. So as we reflect and respond, we're also gonna, uh, share in communion. And so if you're a follower of Jesus in good standing with your local church, uh, we would invite you to come and, and partake in communion. But in doing this, what you're re- remembering today is this reality that Jesus is the one that, that came and said, man, here I am, Lord, like, not my will, your will. And he went to the cross. He was that perfect sacrifice. But He has also called us in remembrance to go and proclaim that to others. And so I want to invite you to that. If you're not a follower of Jesus, we would ask that you abstain from this, uh, not as a way to uh, point you out or shame you, but as a way to say, hey, we want you to understand what this really means and we want to invite you into it. We want you to know what it means to follow Jesus. And so if you have questions about that, come talk to myself or Jeremy or maybe someone you know here today. And so we'll be down here with the elements. You can come when you're ready. And then I'll lead us through our time in communion and we're going to continue in worship. Father, I pray, God, that that you uh, would speak and God, that we would move. God, that we would have hearts and we would have lives that are marked the truth that we are yours and Lord as we are called to you God that that we would simply say here I am Lord, use me and I pray that you would even take the the hard and the broken and the difficult areas of our lives and God that you would give us not simply perspective but you would uh, give us deeper faith to trust in you would use those moments even to refine and grow and deepen our faith. All for the sake of uh, proclaiming the glories of who you are and sharing the reality of, uh, of, of faith with others. So God, use this time in Jesus' name.